My name is Jack Oatway. And I am Jay Oatway, and I am the father. You are the father of? This podcast. Like Dragon Like Sun. Welcome back to another episode. Um, it's been a long week here for us. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's been a, a fairly normal week happening, playing our D&D games, going back to online, you know, as as things shift again. And yeah, we're, ebb and flow we're in, with we're in the lockdown thingy again. So goodbye, table games. It was nice to see you again very briefly. Oh. Um, but we're back to playing online. So it's like where there's like one day where like the sun is out. Hey, like but didn't the you just start season? like a brand new campaign with some people? Yeah, we'll right, get come back on. to it. Come on, brag a little bit about how long your session was. This is like the coolest thing about being a teenager in the summertime. Like five, six hours. You played a six-hour session. I play. The, we the, play them fairly regularly in the middle of the time. day. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, no one's got anything better to do. Jelly. <laughs> uh, that sounded super cool. I'm sorry that that's going to have to get delayed now yeah. again. But... I mean, I don't have any online games besides the one I have with you. But look you, how much but... time it's going to give you to prep for your next session. Exactly, and how much time we have together to do this podcast. Yay! This amazing podcast. I like when together. we're together. Today I, we're I back we're inside the DM's workshop. Back in the DM's workshop. My for fingers second have week. been sewed back on. If you don't know what I'm talking about, hey. Go back and listen to our last listen episode. Listen to the first episode because we're going to be expanding on some of the things we talked about last episode as well as touching on some new base uh, following the chapter, I believe, chapter 9 of the DMG Dungeon Masters Workshop. Um, we're starting at page 272 if you want to follow See, along at home. When you imagine but... the Dungeon Masters Workshop, like I don't know how you picture it in your head. In my head, it's like shop class. Mm. There's a lot of power tools uh, laying around. Uh there's magic items like on oh, some tables and, exactly yeah. but but the it the it's not like a professional like workshop where there's like lots of pros just doing yeah. jobs it's like you get this vibe that everybody who uses these tools are complete amateurs it's yeah. likely going to cut off some fingers or like there's like one guy there's, who kind of knows what he's doing who's like running a class for a bunch of like kids and toddlers who are running around the place and, and that's trying us, to figure it out that today that's and we us. are the toddlers or are we the instructors we're the we're instru- kind of both we're the kind of like we're the guys who half ass know what we do exactly exactly um Honestly, we still have a lot to learn, and reading this gives me so much inspiration. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, uh, we but. we are constantly looking for tips and tricks as mm. well, uh, constantly learning, sharing what we've picked up and learned through the games and things we've played. Hopefully, it'll inspire you at home as well. Absolutely. Uh, and always remember, you are free to play D anD D however you want to play it. Yeah, there's no right way to do it. No right way at all. Uh, so. I think where we left off, we yeah. left off with some tumble, shove aside, climbing on creatures. We Check at, out the previous episode if you want yeah. to learn how to do that. But. Um, the next one that sort of comes after that. So we're talking about like combat options. Mm. So your party's in combat, and you're thinking to yourself, these players are pretty good. They know what they're doing. Like, how do we? How are some nice, simple, fun ways that we can add a little bit more depth, a little more color? Exactly. Um, make their game a little bit more fun for them. And, yeah, I think and reward a, a little bit more strategy, I feel. Yeah, exactly. And as a DM, not just sort of, you know, 
like you know your rogue is gonna like try to get cover maybe they've been working really hard like i've got a rogue character who you know picked up skirmisher maybe they've got um mask of the wild maybe they've got things they, they know how to hide they're trying to use like half cover or things like that wherever they can because they've got these extra abilities so they're mm. trying to pick up the unseen attacker thing a lot and you know they're doing good at it and you're trying though from like game to game every time you roll it a map you always sort of think okay well how can i introduce cover is there some cover here yeah. for them to use if there isn't cover what would they do instead likely and or maybe you're thinking all right we're gonna make this one tough on them we're not gonna give them cover mm. but i'm going to give them the hitting cover option from the dm's guide in here so the idea behind hitting cover is that if somebody shoots at you and misses you um, and you have cover that it hits the cover instead and what i would let you do as a player is use npcs preferably evil ones or creatures you're fighting or whatever as cover you could basically if the baddies have got archers and some like melee fighters you can hide behind the melee fighter so that the archer shoots your friend instead. Well, their friend. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, and maybe this was going to require some grappling on your behalf. I don't know. Mm. Like, we'll let the players kind of figure out how they want to do this. But yeah, that they can grab the baddies, hide behind the baddies, move behind the baddies in some way. And and that partial cover, which you would have before maybe given, the, given me an extra plus two AC, um, also now if they miss they hit the friend well there's specific ways that it's written and it's actually quite you know specific on how this is like getting it like they to hurt their own friends it's a little bit of a tricky thing to pull off but the way it works is when a ranged attack misses a target that has cover which let's say for example is you using their friend as a meat shield against them you can use this optional rule to determine whether the cover was struck by the attack first determine whether the attack roll would have hit the protected target without the cover you if the attack roll falls within a range low enough to miss the target, but high enough to strike the target if there had been no cover, so for example, if you hadn't been holding their friend, you say your AC would have been 16, but the fact that you are holding their friend means that your AC is now 18. They roll a 17 to hit, it hits the cover, right? Because it would have hit you if you didn't have the cover, but the fact that you do means that you don't. Now, this doesn't mean that they hit their friend and deal damage to their friend. All it means that it's in the range to hit the cover. If a creature is providing cover for the missed creature and the attack roll exceeds the AC of the covering creature, the covering creature is hit. So maybe their bandit friend, for example, has an AC of 15 and that attack roll of 17 would have hit them and misses you because you had their cover. Now it hits their friend. So it's a little bit of different sort of hoops to run through, but you got to make sure it's a high enough attack roll to not hit you, but also still hit the cover. You could also take this bit further and have a look at some of the objects that exist in D&D &D hmm. and the fact that they usually have AC and hit points listed for them as well. Exactly. And so like a wooden door, AC 15, 18 hit points. So yeah, maybe there's a, you know, a door that's been knocked off of its frame and it's laying on the ground. Your character could pick the door frame up. And as the baddies are shooting crossbow bolts or whatever at you, yeah, they're they're not hitting you, but they're hitting the door. But they're doing you're seeing them like 
blasting off pieces of the door, little chunks of that are like sort of breaking away. Maybe it's an old sort of rotten door and you can sort of feel like the arrow starting to come through it a little bit, bit by bit, chunks of it are falling away. So you start off this full door and maybe by the end of the fight, you've only got this like tiny little <laughs> splinter of a board left in your hand. And there's sort of like all these like broken pieces of it laying all over the place. Those are sorts of the fun bits that as a DM, if you can sort of think a little bit about, okay, I'm not going to give them easy cover, but I'm going to let them use these things and I'm going to use this optional rule that can really, I think, add a lot more depth and fun to the game um, without a lot of extra rolling or complexity. I think another cool idea is if your artificer has a shield in one hand and a repeating crossbow in the other, hand crossbow in the other, you could, for example, have like, say you have your shield up, you know, and it, if it didn't hit you, but I, I have optional rules where shields can provide cover in certain fighting styles. Or if you want to argue that, now that you have the shield bonus, if it would have hit you without the shield, but then still hits the shield because you had that bonus, the same way we talked about it here, the arrow then hits your your shield, and you could take that and repurpose it for your crossbow or for whatever, you know. Or, yeah, I mean, crossbows and arrows, so it's the same thing, but yeah. Or say whatever. If, say they're firing at you fun. with crossbow bolts or but whatever. Yeah. like Or an ammunition for your little blowgun that you have or whatever. But it could be fun. Regardless, yeah. I think it could be a fun idea. Or something th throwing thrown weapons at you. you pluck the thrown weapon out of your shield and throw it back at them for a barbarian or something, an idea like that, you know. Yeah, well, you could, you could use this across the board. You could have in your games arrows that hit but don't penetrate ac stick into things mm. and then you're walking around with you know uh you know a bunch of arrows stuck on your and you can collect them and give yeah. them back to your ranger for later use yeah or, whatever, or a little you know? a little touch of the mending cantrip and they're all good to go again exactly mm. uh you now need to get arrows if you've got the mending spell <laughs> just pick True. them up after fights just pick them up and spend 10 minutes is it 10 minutes or one minute on each of them trying to, to mend them mending has like a one minute casting time i believe yeah, all right. So you're gonna need to you short know, to spend during your short rest. You just fix up all the ammunition from the combat and give it back to your friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't see an issue with that. Or at least a few. Of the, like, look, in most fights, you, what do you got? Like six or seven rounds. You, <laughs> you know, you haven't expended that much ammunition. But um, that's the idea of hitting cover. Then yeah. moving on to cleaving through creatures. Yeah, this one. This one's a biggie. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a fun idea. I think again. For players who've played the game for a while, uh, especially if somebody says, you know, I really, I've got this crazy idea. I want to do this like, you know, not your usual brute, but they've got some clever, interesting idea for somebody who's, yeah, just a big axe wielder or something. Yeah, cleaving through. And I'd be like, okay, well, let's, let's let you take that a little bit farther then. What would um what what are the conditions they need to meet to cleave through something? Right here, it mentions that when a melee attack reduces an undamaged creature to zero hit points. So you've got to basically go from full health to, full zero, health health. to zero health. This is sort of really meant for like really low level creatures. Comparison to you that are just in horse. So when it says cleaving through creatures, you through. mean cleaving through kobolds or through bugs or different little insects around you or. Pixies or whatever that Pixies. may be swarming oh you. <laughs> Fairy dust just everywhere. But um, any excess damage from that attack might carry over to another creature nearby. The attacker targets another creature within reach and, if the original attack roll can hit it, applies any remaining damage to it. If that creature was undamaged and is likewise reduced to zero hit points, repeat this process, carrying over the remaining damage until there are no valid targets or until the damage carried over fails to reduce an undamaged creature to zero hit points. 
So, so your it, Paladin Divine Smite sure. is like there's a bunch of like, I don't know, like a swarm of different like quasits and imps around him and he just has this massive yeah, Divine so, Smite. So say you do 30 points of damage mm. and first creature's got 10 hit points, second creature's got 10 hit points, third creature's got 10 hit points, they're all dead. Is basically what this means. Exactly. You've gone chop, chop, chop through them, assuming that they're, like you said, especially if they're tiny creatures that are occupying a very close space next to each other, um, you can sort of swing and hit them all. I think a fun way to game this system uh, is to have a paladin and a warlock's familiar set up next to each other, and you send the warlock's familiar right next to the paladin, and since it's a fiend, perhaps... When you go to attack it with your Divine Smite, you get an extra free D8. And though you get a maybe minus one to the damage roll because it takes up that from full health to zero health, you've gotten a free D8 at the expense of your Warlocks. <laughs> Why are you getting the, the free? Because whenever you target a Fiend with a Divine Smite, you get an extra free 1D8 on top of the typical damage you would do. And so it's, it's always been a rule like that. Right. When targeting Fiend or Undead, you can roll an additional so 1d8. So you're, you're letting your, your Quasit or whatever flies in, in between. In between the Paladin and Knowing the, that it's going to soak up. A, like one or two points one of damage. Or two points but give the, the Paladin an extra 1d8 or 2d8 if it crits. Um, so say the average on a d8 is 5 minus 2. So you're basically giving him like plus 3 damage by, At the sac expense by of sacrificing your familiar. Your familiar. I think that's such a fun idea. Is it is 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 it worth the three extra hit sure, points? Sure, it could that could be the or during a big crit, you know, maybe the paladin crits. I suppose and deals but, an extra two d eight because of that. But you'd have to know the way. thing to have to be there and things like that. With, I think but, it's just a fun, cute idea, again, or even yeah. like effects that like deal extra damage to fiends, then we, carry we over. We will to other add creatures. that to our our crazy combo moves. Maybe um, like so hard to set up to a point where it's useless. <laughs> what we're trying to encourage our players and you good listeners uh and we're to trying think to think about through trying to actually think about how to do this as a podcast yeah. or as a supplement even or some sort like combo moves are what make take you from a a rookie pc squad to a veteran butt kicking well-oiled machine mm. knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses knowing how to use your features in conjunction with somebody else's features putting at least two players skills together that way to increase uh, damage or increase opportunity or even better if you get three four or five of you layered we refer to as the ultron move if you can get everybody putting each contributing something into a move that that is finally like mm. pulled off by one of the players that either de delivers devastating damage or something i've always liked um, the idea of like someone like setting up like a, a knee or like a hand to push a, a target over the air if they want to like get onto a ledge or flip into the air or get like an aerial strike on a creature like two of the player characters using their help action or whatever to like get like put their hands in support so a, the halfling rogue can run up into like both their hands and be thrown 10 feet in the air before grabbing his i don't know rapier and plunging it into the beast's back and sure. i'd say just give it okay yeah that's a free like 2d6 falling damage uh, even a free crit you know like just why not but yeah i mean well, that's being a little I've, bit more loosey-goosey with the way well, it, it thought, works like, you know? yeah I mean, and i wouldn't let them game it but like if i'm really being nice like if, they took moves, the, like, if you can get enough yeah. things stacked together in a cool way we could go for like that sort of double advantage sort of mm. situation where you've got 
basically three D20s instead of two D20s. Or exactly. there's ways that you can, as a DM, continue to sort of... Or put... The, the, yeah, exactly. The idea that you said before, putting the falling damage on the creature that's being targeted by that. You yeah. Know, an extra, you know, if, if it's they, a free critical hit exactly. and they take an extra 2 If they've in-game been playing exactly. together for a while as a party and that they've taken some... When you've given them downtime, that they said, hey, we want to work on some fighting moves. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Maybe they've even been to some fighting pits together. And practiced, and they maybe they saw somebody else's team had moves, and they were like, "We need moves," and they started working up some moves. Um, I've had I've seen parties do this as well, where they get jumping off of someone's shield, or yeah, well, yeah. they they learn their combinations. Um, I I I'm in one where I know when our druid is in giant spider form that spider webs are coming next, baby, and my my rogue will hold his heavy crossbow sneak attack for the first creature he sees entangled in that web. So he gets the sneak attack uh, from the advantage on the shot. So um, we just, he's got to learn how, you know, when you see without even having to metagame at the table, when you just exactly. see somebody who's about to set up the move, you should have seen it a few times by now already. So you know how you're going to leverage that move as well so exactly and thinking also not only martial although that's a very good example but spell like combos that could happen when this spell drops i will do this or yeah. exactly when he hits me with the long strider i'll move you know just because i know i can get out of his range or he'll hit me with the uh the expeditious retreat although i'm not sure that's possible um then I move away knowing that I get that free disengage and still got the attacker setting things up like, oh, do you want to do, or like giving fun names to it, like the, the one, two special or the, yeah. uh, uh, the web shot or the whatever, you know, like Beat whatever you want to call express, it. Express, baby. Exactly. And giving them fun moves and setting up a party combo attack, I think is very fun. Uh, and we've always loved that idea, but. Yeah, I work yeah. with my fellow players on those sorts of things all the time. Uh, and it's a very valuable thing if you want to like really make a more cohesive party like yeah. sort of fun combats rather than and everyone taking their own and it doesn't work all the time like, because yeah, exactly most of the combat the, initiatives the really are good ones random. we have initiatives yeah, are exactly. a problem um getting the right situation set up but when know, it happens it, it feels it's good beautiful we usually exactly. high five at the table when we pull it off any combo moves honestly those are some of my favorite moments at the yeah. table when you can yeah. pull stuff off like that it's always high fives when we combo move um, Moving on to lingering injuries yes, and massive damage. So last, last week we spoke a lot about gritty realism mm. in the game. And I know a lot of older players who really enjoy the, the gritty realism. Uh, so, and, and sometimes they want to like, there's so many ways they, people want to homebrew. And you don't need a lot of extra stuff. The rules that are here right away uh, for for lingering injuries are fantastic. And they set up three situations where you might hand out a lingering injury. If anybody takes a critical hit, and uh, this is kind of a fun idea, instead of just doubling damage, double damage and mm -hmm. you roll in the critical hit. And this is actually remnant of a, another role-playing system that you and I have been playing yeah, We have in. been drawing a little bit of inspiration from um, Star Wars Age of Empire. Yeah, Star We Wars, won't talk about it too much. Uh, this Age, is a D &D Age, Age of Rebellion, actually. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Age of Rebellion. But yeah, uh, but yeah, in that one, all the critical hits are an injury-type table. Exactly. And and yeah, this, there's one... Or maybe one, you say you can deal double damage or inflict a lingering injury. Or do both. I, I, I think it's fine, depending on how gritty your game is. There's a beautiful chart here. Uh, roll 1d20. The higher you roll the... It's, it's especially this if it's happening to you you want to roll high i guess <laughs> um if it's happening to if you get to roll for 
the damage you're a lingering injury you're doing to somebody else you want to roll low um i guess the way the chart's designed is it's set for whoever's receiving the injury to roll the dice mm. um although i'd argue i'd let a player roll it why not you why know? not again it depends which way it's going like i said if you, it's if you take a critical hit, you take or, the if yeah. the critical hits hit you, and you're gonna, I'd say put it on the players is what I recommend. So, anyways, yeah. they roll the d twenty. Uh, rolling a one is terrible. You lose an eye. Yeah, and you have disadvantage on wisdom checks and all ranged attack rolls unless you regenerate. <laughs> Whereas rolling a twenty, and uh, if you lose I got a second a... one, you're always blinded. Yeah. <sighs> so bad. Um, Whereas if you roll a twenty, it's a minor scar. Mm. So it's quite a range of things. Um, as I mentioned last week when I was joking about losing my fingers in the DM's workshop, yeah. Regenerate is a spell uh, that can bring back your lost eye if you lose or one. Or a lost arm or a leg or foot or hand. Regenerate or... is a seventh level spell. Yeah, you got to be 13th level to get those eye back. You need a 13th level cleric. Or the Eret's Eye the, common the, magic the item. The good news, though, is it's it's got no serious component cost to it. True. So it's simply about burning the spell slot. Uh, and then poof, you get your eye. Yay, eyes. Um, but 13th level, that's that's a long time to wait to get your eye Honestly, back. Honestly, I'd let someone perform a ceremony ritual like once on like to get like an eye back, you know? Like if you, this person's lost a limb, let's do a quick ceremony with if they still have like their arm and we can like try and put it back together. If you're playing an Eberron. And once it benefits from no, it, no. it's done. If you're an Eberron, losing or, a yeah, limb in, is kind of cool. There's lots exactly. of appendages. I think in, even in any like circumstance, like, like saying, all right, do we use a regeneration and get your arm back and wait till 13th level? Or do we maybe try and find a magical appendage or robotic a, arm? You have a character you know? with one eye. I do have a character with one eye. It's the whole point. I, I have disadvantage on perception checks and all range attack rolls. I've given that to myself. But in I, I use it as like a, a very sort of inspiration-based thing and as the idea for the divination magic, you know, that ranged spell attack rolls aren't made with this advantage because i can still like see the arcane roots of spells that take effect through the eye or things like that or i use all divination to perceive locations far away such as the clairvoyance spell through that eye you know and that sort of idea and behind the it. component is the eye yeah and like things like uh that typically require i think like the i'm not sure if it is clairvoyance that you can create like a, a an eye or an ear sort of sensor and i have like it's supposed to be like a glass eye pearl but it's in his eye socket yeah and so he's got like a, a, a big magical component glass eye that he uses as a his spellcasting focus exactly yeah. but it's in behind a bandage and stuff in behind a bandage as well and things it's like a bit that, nick fury exactly uh, i love that character concept to his uh, air genasi one-eyed divination wizard and what's the thing that you have that allows you to add roll two dice and portents yeah portents. and i see like all my portents that eye as well and that's so cool yeah that was my idea behind it um creating the character so yeah the lingering injury is... Could be an inspiration for a different direction the character go, could go in, or before a campaign starts. Think, do I have this sort of lingering injury? You know, yeah. one of the lower ones. I mean, a limp may be a simple one to start off with. Like you just got into combat and you ended up with a limp that could just be regenerated over now, time. You know, now but... if as a DM, if you think critical hits are too often to be handing these out, you could instead think, okay, if a character drops to zero hit points, but mm. then recovers. That, but it isn't killed outright. You right. Know, so they come back points. from that. They roll a d20. Mm. And yeah, maybe they come back with, you know, if they roll an 8 to 10, they've got broken ribs, uh, which basically is an internal injury. Uh, and they've got to make a 
DC 10 con DC save. DC con save. I failed save. They lose their action and can't use a reaction until the start of their next turn. You know. Yeah, it just hurts. Suddenly it's like, ah! Oh, and that suddenly, that's, that sucks. They can still move, but he, he, yeah. fighting and stuff becomes lingering. It's almost like being constantly incapacitated without having the condition itself, you know, that you yeah. have to try and overcome. Um, and of course, magical healing can, can fix you up, I think. Yeah, uh, magical healing or 10 days of rest, just you're healed. That's like 10 days of downtime, just like, ah, give me a moment. Or any, just a cure wounds fixes it. Yeah, which is fine, right? Like a healing word, cure wounds, any of that. But it's one of those things that if, I I would say that. Even a lay on hands from Paladin heals it. Sure. So, but what I would do is I would say that the first heal that got you back into life, right? So if they Mm -hmm. laid on hands or used healing, a healing word or something like that, that now you're back above zero HP. But you still have the lingering injury, so a second cure wounds would have to be used on you to recover that. Now they might do that anyways mm. because you're still going to be like reduced on hit points, so that'll fix all of that when it fixes you. Uh, but if you've got somebody who's just using their healer kit, nope, that's not going to fix your broken ribs. It's going to take time. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe they're also you're running low on spell slots, so. Uh, that's those are i think it's a way to add another level of realism to your game and we've always liked the idea of scars as well and in here it talks about having minor scars or horrible scars or things like that that give you disadvantage on persuasion checks but advantage on charisma checks and you need a a very high level spell such as heal or regenerate uh removing the scar but it only have six level or higher so it could be a six level cure wounds to fix it even i would argue but I think that's a fun idea of not, it's not always like an internal injury and it could just be yeah. representative of like a, even like a minor scar on a 7, 3, 17 through 20. I've, I've in one uh, of my campaigns, one effect. of the characters got cursed with bad teeth. <laughs> it has very little effect on him. Um, it increases his DC on a couple of persuasion checks um, a little bit, uh, but only if it's like he's trying to like romantically charm somebody or things. Um, typically, these teeth have, have no ill effect apart from the fact they become like a running bit of a running joke mm. throughout the campaign. And I think that's fun. Like add minor like blemishes and deficiencies to your characters. Gives them just that. It gives them character. It makes right? them real, you know? Like yeah. not everyone is perfect, smooth skin, no, no scars. I think when we first start role playing, we often want to role play the like, ultimate cool. Yeah. You know, because in our real lives we're not that. And so we want Or we want to be to, that. To escape to that. Yeah. We want to be that thing. But then we realize after playing that for a while that it's actually kind of flat and boring that exactly and um, there's almost a deeper connection with a character when you feel their pain and when you understand that they've gone through and i just struggle more and they're not perfect. for myself as yeah. well as i'm working through characters pain real pain in a character i'm often working through my own real pain mm. at the table it's like free best therapy ever it's like whereas if i'm trying to pretend i'm perfect all the time it doesn't help me as much exactly um, and and i actually i would never play a perfect character. i find a perfect character would i just want to punch them in their perfect teeth I think like I like the idea at first and I've had this idea a couple of times where it's the idea of a character who strives to be perfect and like wants everyone to think they're perfect but is deeply flawed on the inside yeah you know and taking like that level of idea like oh they like appears like to be perfect on the outside but there is like stuff that they're struggling with you know yeah. even if they may seem I, perfect in some I capacity I cooked up a, a uh, gith character a while back uh super wonderful uh you know two-handed sword fighter wizard 
uh, because, hey, that's what the Gith do. And um, instead of coming up like, you know, with the tragic backstory, she was like, yeah, no, super rich family. And, and it sort of made her quite kind of snobby. And she's she's definitely one of those like really ugly on the inside. She thinks she's like such a social justice warrior, but she's like such a like a like closet snob on the inside and very like selfish and conceited. And I really like that as well. Like sometimes the idea that instead of playing like the super nice, righteous sort of character, like without being evil, she's kind of like, she's just kind of ugly on the inside. Yeah. needs, needs healing in her own right. That yeah. isn't through magic. Yeah. And, and that her character's journey really is about becoming less ugly on the inside. Yeah. And becoming more understanding and less reliant on. And it kind of makes sense for somebody as alien mm -hmm. as a Gith as well, who's, you know, thought they were coming to save everybody and then is realizing, oh, well, they I'm didn't. I'm the one who needs to be yeah, saved. I'm, yeah. I'm not their savior. I'm at anything. If I want to be something, I should just try and be their friend. Yeah, exactly. I think that's such a cool concept. And those aren't necessarily lingering injuries caused by a critical <laughs> hit. But well, uh, mental damage can be lingering injuries. It's true. Actually, talking it, about that's covered mental, in another spot. Yeah, uh, massive damage. This is more of a, a immense shock that yeah, uh, this is your gritty as well. System undergoes. I'm not sure. I'd let. I wouldn't do this with like first tier characters. Level one to three. This is probably not a great idea to introduce this, but higher level characters for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. If there's something like a dragon that does like half my level 17 yeah. characters hit points, then so, of course they're going right, to have so massive. So the way this shock. rule works is if you take damage from a single source that is equal to or greater than half of your hit point maximum. So you've got 80 hit points and you take 40 or more, you must succeed on a DC 15 constitution save or take one of the system shock uh, effects from the table below um on page 273 yeah and those include if you roll it's a d10 if you roll a one you drop to zero hit points and you're not stable you're and making you start death making death saves, saves. Yeah. two to three you're zero hit points but stable four to five you're stunned until the end of your next turn six to seven you can't take reactions and have disadvantage and again, on all attack rolls and ability you, checks until the end of your next turn. And eight through ten, you can't take reactions until yeah. the end of your next turn. So it kind of like the higher the roll, right. the better. better. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say this is like before: the higher, the better. Um, it's still, though, I mean, even the six or seven that you can't take reactions and have disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. Ouch! I mean, mm. that's that's rough. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically, you got hit so hard. So it's basically about 50% chance that you get that or just can't take reactions. 50% um, that you are stunned or worse. And even the stun condition is pretty bad. You can't move. You can't take actions or reactions. It's pretty bad. So all the system shock stuff on this list here is, is brutal. So if you get hit hard... Uh, this is a good way to introduce, but again, I wouldn't do this if characters who have just got eight hit points take four points of damage. That's, that's just, forget it. Like level one, level two, you're still struggling just to stay alive anyways. That mm -hmm. massive damage and system shock doesn't make any sense. This makes way more sense yeah. if you're like 10th level or better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think with, if you've got players who get to that level, you might want to start to say to them, hey, we'll introduce this. But I would also suggest that if, if it's, your players are dealing big damage. Yeah, yeah it, it works on the monsters, too. So if you, you, you we talked about cleaving earlier, if your paladin or whatever can pile up a ton of damage on one creature at one go, 
I'm gonna roll system shock on that character. Exactly. You'd well. bet divine smite mages outright kill the monster. Yeah. You know? like, if it had 80 hit points and you did 40 plus this turn to it, it's gonna roll on this chart. Exactly. It could be stunned from that amount of damage. It's, yeah. And then everybody else piles on for the other 40 points. And exactly. One round of the and thing. So is now down. that's setting up that combo move for the biggest attack could reap benefits for the whole party next turn. You know. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Mm. Um, always be sneaking into combat. <laughs> well, maybe that's not always an option, but yeah. But if you can, surprise, baby, surprise, surprise. Speaking it only takes one things, of you to surprise it. Morale. Huh. Yeah. So okay. So here's another one. This is again. This works great. Um, this is even good for I think lower level players, because you know, as a as a more seasoned dungeon master. You need to recognize that your monsters aren't always just going to stay there and fight to the death. Mm. Some situations, yes, monsters are are definitely are engineered to destroy. They're something, in that situation. You know? They've been summoned to protect it. They've done whatever. There's a scene where they they don't go, but there's also a scene where they're only in the fight by happenstance, and maybe they don't want to fight much more than the players do. Um, and given the right set of circumstances, they will bug out. They will run. And so what are those circumstances? Hey, like we mentioned before, if a creature is surprised, it may run. There's a chart here. Well, it's not a chart. It's more of just a list of things that it could, could be. Uh, uh, I'm sure for the, so the you surprise the chart. But. So you surprise them, and that's all it takes for a bunch of them to take off. Yeah, especially if they're a group of goblins and they're surprised, they may just run off. They may go, <sighs> or even a beast, if surprised, could be scared yeah. off, I can imagine. Spooked. You know, like a spooking a creature to just run off. If a creature is reduced to half its hit points or fewer for the first time in battle, which, again, might have been our system shock. Exactly. System shock. <laughs> they run. Um, or if it comes from across from your whole party, whack, 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 exactly. hits it all in one turn. It hasn't been acted yet. It gets its turn. It is gone. Mm. It's running. And I think these are good things to have in your head. I'm like, when you start asking yourself, at what point does a monster want to take off? And I think these rules here are fantastic to sort of say. If the creature has no way to harm the opposite, opposing side on its turn, it may run away. You know, like we mentioned before with uh, in our previous episode, when disarming a creature and then burying its weapon, if it has now no fighting option, then it's just going to flee. You know, it's got nothing to do. Yeah. It might at that point decide to run. So th I think this is great, too, for teaching players that fights don't have to be this thing that we spend to the death, you an know, hour exactly. at the table grinding through. Um, the fact that we can end them often just yeah, by early, being exactly. smart and clever about how we... We affect Approach morale. Things. Yeah. And uh, this is for sort of unique solo creatures, but in a group, if something's leader, like a, uh, a hobgoblin warlord is, like, felled, then the rest of the, the smaller units under his command may just flee, you know, just as an example. But if all the creatures in the group are surprised, they may choose to flee. If the group's leader is reduced to zero hit points, incapacitated, taken prisoner, or removed from battle, they may choose to flee. The group is reduced to half its original size with no losses on the opposing side. They may choose to flee. You know, it's if things are looking back for a group, they could just choose to run away. And, 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 it, and it gives losses. it here a yeah. DC 10 wisdom saving throw for the group's leader um, to determine whether he would signal a retreat. And I think, you know, that's a, a great idea. It, it says, you know, there's conditions on that. You might say if it, they feel completely overwhelmed, they might make that wisdom save with disadvantage uh or just decide hey they just they're gonna fail that outright um you know this there's a really nice sort of set of things here in the dm's workshop 
that uh, that lets you do some some much more realistic things with combat situations. You know, the monsters aren't idiots. They're not. Yeah. They're not dumb unless you've cornered them or given them no choice to get away. Many times you could scare them off, which is advantageous to you as a party as well. But also the idea of fleeing could be, if, if we tie it back into the last episode's idea of honor, perhaps fleeing is a very dishonorable thing. You know, and then there's sure. the, always the choice for players. All right, are we going to try and fight to the death here and push ourselves past our limits? Or are we going to cut our losses and flee, but in the chance that we lose face? You right. Know? And, I mean, I play in one campaign where the DM only awards experience points for things we kill. So, I mean, as much as... I'd like to say, oh, I don't care if, how much experience we get. You know, I do actually kind of care about getting experience points. Mm. Um, like, it's a funny double-edged sword. Like, I'm enough of a player to know that I, I'm there for the table because it's a fun game, and that it doesn't matter how fast we we level up enough. It's but okay. there's always an excitement to get. You always levels. get a bit of XP. It doesn't matter how much. But if you were trying to min-max the whole thing, then. If your DM says, oh, but you could chase them away, I'd be like, hell no. We don't let them. Nobody escapes. We kill every one of them. Mm. Um, and that's terrible. I don't want to make that. You just make murder hobos out of your players if you force all their experience to come from killing. Uh, milestones are, in my mind, still the way better way to do it. Uh, leveling players up as they accomplish things. Yeah. And, and accomplishing might be just that. We accomplished. We accomplished getting rid of the... The horde that was protecting the door. That's... Exactly. And it may not even be like during the end of session that you level up, but maybe the next long rest is you reflect on it. And then <laughs> as you take a rest, you all feel yourself emboldened. So you're I, not just leveling up in the middle do, of the day. How do you do with your players? I'm, I'm right now, I'm feeling like I only level up players at long rests. Uh, I would agree typically, but the way that my sessions work, we typically wrap up at a point where it feels reasonable. You know, like we won't. Unless it's like people need to leave and we're kind of in the middle of combat, we try to finish combat before wrapping up our session just because we have the ability to do so and such a generous amount of time that typically we end the session at a point where they're long resting anyways. And so I'll say, all right, everybody, at the end of session, everyone long rest, everyone level up a level. And I try to make it so each session we have a story that we go through and by the end of that, they level up one or two levels, you know, because if we have, I don't know, six, seven sessions and they level up you know, 10, 14 times in, in that course, we've played for 60-some hours with these characters. It feels justified that they're 20th level now. Like, that doesn't matter to me. I The way that I run campaigns and we run campaigns, it's a little bit snappier. And the fact that we have such long sessions, it just makes sense to me that, though it may feel like it was a short amount of time, that I'm fine giving people levels every single session. Yeah, I, I have no rules against leveling up players uh some people like i know dms there's lots of dms who who aren't in a rush to level up players yeah i, I think, think any method's fine I, I played in games where leveling up is slow and that's okay as well i don't mind that whatsoever yeah. um i guess it i guess it for me as a dm leveling up players is a way for me to reward them well i was thinking about more about the increased capacity for for new adventures the you know especially in those levels one two three you've got to be kind of a bit careful how you're building the encounters um whereas if you start getting 
sort of above that, five, six, seven, there's a lot more, you know, players can take a few hits and that makes, it makes it more fun in, in a lot of ways so that, you know, you're not... You're not ability-less or like yeah, character yeah. concepts are more fleshed out. Combat's going to be a little bit more, you know, it's okay that we took a hit. They can know, be a bit like, more adventuresome exactly. in what they do and they, they tend to take more risks and try new, more interesting things. So for me, trying to... I mean, not rush it, not like overdoing it too quickly, but trying to find a balance that's maybe on the little bit faster side. And yeah, typically at long rests. It it just feels to me like a player doesn't just, a character doesn't just suddenly like middle of the day, like, hey, I've got these new things I can do. Hmm. I don't know. Like I like the, especially when it comes to things like warlocks and, and clerics and people like that who have some sort of divine connection, often like the dream sequence or things like that to tell them and teach them about new things they can do. Um, yeah, or any sort of religious connection, especially like a uh, like in Critical Role, such good examples with like Yasha, a barbarian. Like the furthest thing you think from religious, the fact that they're a path of zealot or any sort of connection, drawing on their backstory to sort of give a motivation or a cool moment when they level up is always, I feel, justified and a cool idea to to give to your players, like a cool moment for you to share. And you know the the nice thing about having like what we next station in the DM's workshop here talks about how to modify monsters and modify pretty much everything which it means also like it's okay to beef your party up like they aren't going to be so superheroific that you can't easily just like you know buff the monster's weapons a little bit um buff its ac by a point or two and suddenly that fight is just as good as it was before, if, not, if it's better, because everybody sort of feels like they got yeah. cool new things they can do, and they're jumping around the board trying them out, and um, and everybody feels cool when they can put, whip out that kind of crazy, unusual character, you know, class feature. Um, that's what it's all about. Oh, I just got this new feature. Can I try it out? Oh, that was so cool. It worked out so well. I'm so powerful. You and know? and all I had to do to sort of balance it out to make it still feel like they were threatened was to you know. Maybe even just add one more monster into the scene. Yeah, or slightly tweak a monster, and I think I would add talk a, even a, a couple lesser ones s- supporters in there as well, and mm. and done. a minion or things like that. And there are varying minion rules out there, which I recommend you research as well, because those are very helpful sometimes in managing combat. But we're getting into modifying monsters. Yay! M- move over here, group. Move along. Move we're along. Coming to the section of the we're coming to where... this section. This of is the like workshop. the Frankenstein-y section. Yeah, where this is the workshop where like there's like little arcs of electricity jumping from coil to coil, and there's some. Yeah. Yeah. You see, Some, like, on the wall, like, a bunch of googly-eyed, weird, like, pieces, and people, like, kids are like, in, oh. In jars, yeah. Yeah, like, macaroni, and the parents, like, see it, and they're like, oh, what is this, you know? Or oh. they're like, whoa, wow, yeah, it's very cool. And, or, and laying on this mm. table in front of us on this uh, surgery slab is something stitched together, parts of, different parts of the monster manual cobbled into something that we call our monster for this adventure modified monsters i love modified monster made, ideas. made one yesterday yeah i love modifying monsters simple things that aren't big changes or if you want a more thematic world setting making small changes or changing names even or if you want to go up another step the idea of making it much more witcher-esque if you know what i mean and there's a good uh z bashu 
video yeah, how, to, how, how to introduce certain resistances or really, weaknesses really that make them specific yeah. weaknesses which would be again if you've got a player who's got great arcana or history or nature or whatever or medicine and you'd be yeah. like oh this is the dreaded such and such beast or maybe you've even heard a religion or, you've heard yeah, talk exactly. of it while in town or on the way there there's been mentions of it or you know you set it up in your campaign a bit so that the players know that they need weapons wet in the blood of fresh blood of a chicken mm. um and so for you know for ages they've been carrying these chickens in a cage and maybe your chickens have been under threat a bunch of times from drowning or, or maybe cold your wizard turns their anything. familiar into a chicken just for like eh, the it won't work because well you poof when you like what if it's them. a warlock that has a special pact that as their patron leaves it or their little familiar leaves it just pours out with blood like so dramatically before poofing away there's so, things like that. Yeah. That'd be a fun idea. I, or, the idea would be like create a way for them to have that unique setup on exactly. the thing, but also make it like that like Stronger, part of the story you know, exactly. and a big pain in the butt for them. Um, and making the mission acquiring a way to defeat it as well, which I think is very fun. trying to get some chickens through the icy cold of Icewind Dale could be. Mm, exactly. Quite or, the challenge on itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or just keeping them, trying to, to negotiate the purchase of chickens in place like, Curse of Strahd, where people like food yeah. is so rare, people are like not going to part with them for, except for like with a fair good stack of Electrum. Mm. I do want to read this paragraph here because though it is a little bit long, I think it's very valuable and just sparking creativity in the minds of uh, wannabe DMs or I think wannabes maybe a bit negative connotation, but those who want to modify members, those who are trying to get take their skills, yeah, who up. wanna who wanna get better at uh, or have some inspiration for modifying monsters. <clears throat> modifying a monster once you have an idea for a monster you'll need statistics to represent it the first question you should ask yourself is can i use statistics that already exist and this is great if you're building it in D&D Beyond because the first thing it asks you is do you want to build this off an existing monster? Or do you want to make it from scratch? Exactly. And I say if you can build it off of an existing one you're going to save yourself a ton of hurt. A step block in the monster manual might make a good starting point for your monster. Imagine, for example, that you want to create an intelligent arboreal predator that hunts elves. There is no such monster in the monster manual, but the Quagoth is a savage humanoid predator with a climbing speed. You could borrow the Quagoth stat block for your new m monster, changing nothing but the creature's name. You can also make minor tweaks, such as replacing the Quagoth's language undercommon with one that's more appropriate, such as Elvish or Sylvan. Need a fiery phoenix? Take a giant eagle or rock. Give it immunity to fire and allow it to deal fire damage with its attacks. Needing a f are you needing a f uh, flying monkey, for example? Consider a baboon with wings and a flying speed. Almost any monster you can imagine can be built using one that already exists. Adapting a stat block is far less time-consuming than creating one from scratch, and there are changes you can make to an existing monster that have no effect on its challenge rating, such as swapping languages, changing its alignment, or adding special senses. However... Once you change the creature's offensive or defensive ability, such as its hit points or damage, its challenge rating may need to change, as shown later. Another sw simple change is switching weapons. If a monster wields a manufactured well, weapon, so I was you back can up replace here. it. There's been a quick oh, example okay. here of, of so what, what I did the other day was I made a grandmother hag, uh, which is something that's talked about in Bolo's Guide. There's a huge chapter in there all about how to play hags and what they hag covens are like and what the spells they have what their lair features could be legendary actions could be and it gives you a whole bunch of stuff but there's no actual stat block for granny hags so i'm like huh 
we'll just have to make ourselves a granny hag then. And I was making a very specific one, uh, Jenny Greenteeth for the uh, Curse of Strahd setting. She, I don't more now, man. Let's skip the spoilers. But anyways, she's she's sort of a legendary character in that game, uh, or she is now in mine. Um, and and so yeah, I started with the the Coven Hag feature, and then went to Volos and just sort of copy pasting all the bunches chunks of stuff from the write-ups of powers they had there. So I wasn't even having to homebrew homebrew, but what I had to do was simply find a place to put it all together. And, you know, D&D Beyond does make that super easy. And then I went through and I could like modify the spell list a little bit and I could tweak some of her spell casting abilities and up, you know, her hit points and a few things like that uh, across the board, her ability scores and voila. Brand monster. new, yeah, monster. That's potentially more powerful. Oh, yeah, she's definitely more powerful. Yeah, That's the whole point. Th- we'll, we'll touch on switching power. Like borderline arch Yeah, fate. exactly. Challenge ratings in the second one, challenge ratings to mean at a basic level. Um, but we're nearly hitting 50 minutes here, so we'll maybe kick into... Speed round. Speed round. Switching weapons. We discussed a little bit before yeah. uh, like about disarming and if creatures have weapons in previous episodes. Also but, a great way to sort of yeah. think, hey, I want uh, to offer my players some treasure. Exactly. Now That's, they have a spear of thunderbolts, or, or whatever. It's, or exactly. it's a plus one, a plus one, a plus one long, two exactly. sword, plus two maybe. Halberd or something like that. And that plus that two sword was cutting exactly. them, cutting them to shreds until they finally killed the thing, and then voila, there's that sword that your fighter has been wanting for a while. Exactly. Uh, or adding a special trait, for example, uh, could be a fun thing. Like uh, it goes on here, uh, listing a couple of traits that you could add to your monsters, and oh, I'll just like it suggests. Say a couple it suggests in the DM's workshop here. Turning your ordinary owl bear into a flying owl bear. Oh my God! Why isn't why hasn't somebody statted that one up? Why isn't there should definitely be your flying owl bear out there? Let me name just a couple monster features that could. I'm definitely Team Owl Bear. In case yeah. you're wondering, <laughs> I own Team Owl instead of Team Fireball. Yeah, Team Owl Bear. I, I own I own an owl bear T-shirt. We also own a fireball. Like sticker, but yeah, I, I got fireball T-shirt as well. But I'm Team Owlbear all the things way. Things like giving your doppelganger the aggressive feature, or uh, your your Grimlock the blood frenzy feature, or whatever from other things you can lift up and find in the monster manual. It's a very easy way to introduce the idea you may have, like a super aggressive version of a monster, or a shape changer, or a, stand, a thing that can jump real high, or something that smells real bad, or something that. Uh, is very good at being invisible or surprising people or swallowing things or teleporting or tunneling or getting rid of resistances or having multiple heads or being resistant because of their undead nature or whatever. You know, there's so much available to you. I mean, I think there's a, there's a, in the DMs workshop here, there's a really great step-by-step building process. I think for most DMs, if you've been playing for a while, this is very intuitive. Like you kind of have a feeling for what what the scenario is that you want to plan, what the encounter looks and feels like, and what it's missing. What, you know, if you go looking for a standard monster, but you can't quite find it, the idea then, all you need to do is just sort of think, what is it that that monster kind of needs? And and just, yeah, just tweak some stuff. It's really easy. Sometimes it is as much as reskinning something that exists into something that looks and feels more appropriate for that space. And And you're probably better off to do that rather than trying to cook up something completely from scratch, uh, because from scratch you're likely going to have a very, well, quite possibly unbalanced 
mm. uh, monster that who knows whether it works or not. And then also a rewarding experience. It gives you like calculating what the challenge rating may be according to its proficiency bonus, armor class, hit points, attack bonus, damage per round, and save DCs. And then also has a chart experience points by challenge rating here on page 274 and 275. Uh, about what that like means and average challenge ratings and creating monsters like that and creating unique stack blocks are things very valuable for all DMs who want to make up their own monsters. I didn't even know much about this until we started reading it. Just but uh, isn't right, it just but now, also, but, and I think it's maybe the the next page over. Um, I'm, I'm looking on the online version here. Uh, if you get sort of past that a little bit, you know, often one of the the coolest parts of a monster are the features that it has. And in the DM's workshop here, there is a beautiful big chart. There it is. You found it. What page? Yeah, I was talking there? a little bit about this before. Yeah, so this is all the monster features from mm. aggression through to blind senses. It doesn't tell to... you what the feature does, which is a little bit it, of a well, shame. But... I think it, it does in mine. It says effect oh, it on challenge rating. is. Oh, it only tells you its effect on challenge rating. Yeah, well, well, yeah but it'll say things like, so say if it's aggressive, an example is orc. And it says increase the monster's effective per round damage output by two. Yeah, but that's also corresponds with the uh, calculating challenge rating chart. The, each yeah. of these have their own different effects. But the idea know, is but... that you go through these things and it's got a, it, first of all, it gives you a full list of having them all in one place, which is pretty cool to see. Mm, all the different things. And, and you then, can try and find and then about how much monsters that, and where you can find them. Exactly. exactly. How much is that going to increase your overall challenge rating? There's a pretty good formula in here for kind of working all that stuff out. Um, and it's really worth spending some time to dig into it. It's it's probably too much and a little bit too thick to For try us and to get do through now. Podcast. But I recommend reading it yourself on page two eighty and two eighty one in the uh, DMG. All of this beautiful chart here of all different like monsters that have such a great resource sitting exactly. in the back of your DM's guide. Also NPC um, stuff about ability modifiers. Yeah, they come right and, after that. Yeah, it's movement speeds, languages very sort of simple things that you can do to give your monster a little bit more character and using th rather than having to make up your whole like new features or whatever just drawing on what yeah. currently exists there's a whole beautiful chart here as well when you start thinking especially if you're character builders like we are and you're like gosh i need a race that's got you know plus two decks and plus one charisma and you can sort of look through this chart and go oh hey you know drow would fit that bill quite nicely mm. um it's really beautiful charts. There's some really um, excellent resources in your DM's guide. Do not be afraid to open it up, dig into it. Um, spend some time creating monsters. Uh, like I said, it's a combination of, I think, using the DM's guide uh, with its charts and using uh, Beyond D&D &D with its ability for you to copy, paste, and cobble things together. It's... Uh, yeah, I think there's there's some really great tools. Really out there. valuable stuff here. Uh, I'd say as we're wrapping this episode up, that concludes our two parter. I feel, well, or that's the the second of what could be the a third part. A if, third we part if we want to talk magic items at some point down the line, spells or magic items or making all that stuff. Uh, and there's some uh, there's some character options in there as well about creating races and mm. sub races and modifying classes. And I think maybe actually we hold on those. I, I have feelings that later this year. We've got a new player's handbook type supplement coming out that's going to have... New Xanathar's Guide? Well, I don't know what we call, but I think that the variant class feature thing that's been in UA for a while is coming. Um, and I think 
I think that's, and I think there'll be some variants to races and stuff coming as well. And I think maybe when those come out, we can hopefully on D and D Beyond start to do more in that the way ourselves. of tweaking exactly. our classes and races and making uh, sort of fun yet balanced options available for our players. Mm. I think that will wrap up this episode of Like a Dragon, Like Sun. Thank you all once again for uh, coming into the workshop with us today. Mm. We uh, may revisit it one time again. If, or even if you more have the line. Uh, hurt yourself at all in the workshop today, uh, uh, we please. are not liable. No, you, no. You, you signed, signed the disclaimer. The and you disclaimer. Came in, exactly. But there is a first aid kit near the door on the way out. Well, it may not grab work. If, grab if we're using gritty realism, it may not work. But well, no, you, it only works if you use the oh, it's true. Yeah, the healer's kit on Very the way true. out. So make sure you get some band aids and uh, you know wash those wounds before you put the band. Although on. if it's a big system shock or some sort of massive damage, then who knows? Maybe a lingering injury is the case, and, and then you're going to need to resurrect. Just hop up here on our. Our, uh, you know, slab that's connected to these uh, electro coils that are hooked up to the lightning rod, and uh, you know, yeah, it'd be better in no time. And it's like a whole little Frankenstein's lab at this end of the workshop that brings uh, creatures back to life. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be the next pr like project everyone will be working on. You know, Absolutely. not a big deal. You will be our next golem. Uh, <laughs> thank you for contributing your body parts for us today. Uh, it's been great having you here. We are. Jay away and um oh, I've lost it I can't sun. remember the sun and uh we wish you a happy weekend bye bye everybody bye